1: People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right. Welcome to episode number 17. We're climbing the numbers ever higher and we're back for another one this week. Matt Stocks, Jesse Leach, as always, we're your hosts. And this is Stoke the Fire. Pull up a chair, come enjoy the flames, the warmth. Um, Jesse, why don't you tell the good people watching and or listening who today's guest is and then we will bring him onto the show.
0: So he's a a great vocalist of a a fresh band. It's nice for me to... uh see a younger generation do it properly, and they definitely do um, a band called Barry tomorrow. And this guy has really done a lot this past year or so with his personal social media, um, bringing people on his IG live and talking about mental health awareness. So he already won a ton of points in my book, and I was actually able to go on with him and have a great chat. Lovely guy. Um, I'm I'm definitely a fan of him now. And uh, it's an honor to have him on. So, Dan, would you come on the podcast? This is Danny from uh, Barry Tomorrow.
2: What a lovely intro! That's like the best intro anyone's ever given me in my life. So, <laughs> I didn't even
0: try, man. I
2: you know, just <laughs> wow. I feel great. I I feel like I'm floating already.
0: That was great. He's good you, could at that
1: stuff, isn't he, Dan? He just he <laughs> talks from the heart and it brings you in like i could when we do episodes there's sometimes when i could just sit there and just listen i'm just swooning he's got a very uh, <laughs> a nice way with words has our jesse leach um dude it's great to to kind of meet you properly we've never actually properly met which is kind of funny because we're both obviously from the uk um we know i think all the same people we do I, we do I definitely spent a lot of time well, not a lot of time, but I spent a bit of time with your brother, Dav. Yes. The yep. band. Um, when I first moved to London in 2014, well, the first of a couple of times I've since left again. But we spent the day in a pub. I can't remember why. And just a lovely dude. Really, really like upbeat, energetic, funny, lovely dude. Who's the older brother of you two?
2: Uh, he is the older brother. Four years. Four. Doesn't seem like that because he is... Um, he is energetic. <laughs> yeah, He's a big kid, but that's a good thing. You know, keeps him young, I think.
1: Yeah, I would have th- said you were the older brother because you kind of exude wisdom beyond your years. But Or, or misery and miserable. <laughs> <'cause, you> know, <laughs> it's one of them. <laughs> but you you, you you and Jesse know each other, right? So what's the
0: what's the connection there? How did you two first meet? So I, from what I recall, and I can't remember if it was you or your bandmates, I, I interviewed two of you dudes. Yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. London. Were you there? Or was that your bandmates? I don't remember. No,
2: yeah, but so it was bandmates. Um, first time we met, I think was um, we played a show in Hungary together. I think. It was I was really Budap- remember. Yes, yeah, we I played re- Budapest, um, Budapest Park together, um, yes. and we did a shot of whiskey on on our bus, which was great. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then you you uh, were chatting with Jason, who's our guitarist and singer, and Dav, who's my brother. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then and me was- and you obviously met many many years
0: later on instagram um yeah so we've gone from there yeah that was back in my uh, drinking a lot days yeah. <laughs> people often tell me that you know because i try to be nice to opening bands or bands i don't know you know i don't ever like to be that prick who's like doesn't say hi so I had a, uh, a habit of just bringing a bottle on someone's bus or, or their, you know, carrier van or whatever. Like, hey, what's up? I'm Jesse. Let's drink. <laughs> that was me. Back. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you you were
2: you were more kind than that, Jesse. Like you, you definitely. We played. I think we played like three shows together, and even on the first date, you said, "What's up?" So it wasn't all. It wasn't all drink-fueled. You definitely came and had a chat
0: with us before oh, that as well. Because I don't remember a so. lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Even with the alcohol, though, that's still not a move that all headline acts or older bands do to younger ones. And speaking yeah, yeah. to someone who's toured a lot as a DJ, having that kind of a hand of, of hospitality extended is always welcome, alcohol or not.
2: Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for us as well, like, you know, obviously Killswitch are a massive influence of our, our style of music, no doubt about it. And, but like you don't, you know, when you go on tour, you kind of, I don't know. I kind of expect people to be good human beings and talk to each other, and you know, we're all human beings, and regardless of the bands we're in. But I, but when you play a couple of shows with each other, you know, you can't blame people for kind of sticking sticking to their own, and they're because everyone's on like a run, you know, everyone's on a tour. Doesn't matter whether you're playing festivals and, but yeah, for people to extend a hand, even if it's for five minutes, it's 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 really nice. It well, makes it easier.
0: It's exhausting, isn't it? It's. Just, I mean, <laughs> touring is exhausting. So that, I think that's a good uh, segue into into. Uh, I think where where you should jump in is, you know, the pandemic hitting, and you have made a hell of a run out of it, on oh, my man. I'm definitely proud of what you've done to help people. So how Thank did this get all go? I mean, I, I know you've been involved with mental health in general. But how did the pandemic affect your shift in gears, and maybe even putting more attention to this? Mm.
2: Yeah no I mean it's a perfect way of putting it brother to be honest with you I think for for me I've always worked for the National Health Service so our NHS which is the health service um, here where you pay your taxes and you get free healthcare which is fantastic um, we're very blessed to have that in our country and it's a something that needs to be protected because it's It's not awesome. over here <laughs> I know I know but it's something that's always at risk so it's something that we need to protect and I've been um I've been in the NHS now for Uh, 13 years so I joined the band at 16 when I was 18 I joined the NHS so I've done it in tandem for this entire time really and um and then I kind of amazing
1: dude
2: yeah it's crazy right and and to be able to do it I'm very lucky that I've kind of slotted into situations where people have been okay with me touring and vice versa you know the band has been okay with me pursuing a different career which is often not the case in some some aspects Mm. um and then kind of going through my own mental health journey, which I'm sure we'll kind of touch on. And um, I, I kind of realized that I created this juxtaposition between me as a band and the front man and me working in the NHS. And like I go from like playing, we played download main stage in front of like 50,000 50, people or something. And then Monday, I was back in on the desk of a respiratory unit, just typing notes and stuff like that. And so it, it helped me be grounded, if I'm honest with you. And and then from a mental health perspective, um, obviously I have my own struggles. Very open about that. I'm more than happy to talk about it because it's important to do so. And um, and on the last tour we did, which is crazy, is 2019. Um, the end of 2019, I pulled. Um, I decided that I wanted to live by what I preached, which is you know dedicate time, dedicate do more than just putting out a tweet and saying you should talk about mental health and actually encourage people to do so. And so we set up I um, set up with some nonprofit organizations, uh, physical safe spaces on every single day of our UK tour. So people could come along free of charge and um, they didn't have to come to a show. There was nothing like that in it. So you could refer someone we had quite a few people that didn't even know who we were, which was amazing. Um, they referred Where were they men-
1: taking place down at the venues or at other specific so, no,
2: Yeah. So I made sure I kind of removed it from that aspect just for fear of it feeling like, um, like it was related to the band or the show, you know, it wasn't a meet and greet. It was a, mm. it was an opportunity to talk about mental health, which I think it was really important to kind of slide it away from that because, That's you know, great. for any, for anyone, you kind of have that feeling regardless of whether you, you know, you, you think we're a big band or we're not a big band. Like um, people still have that perception of you. And for some people, you could be as big in the world. You can pay 150 cap venues and people think you're the biggest band in the world, which is amazing. Um, beauty of music, but, I I really made a conscious decision so it didn't have that intimidating factor about it um so we worked I worked with uh healthcare organizations charities local um cafes you know vegan cafes that we went to that just anywhere that would open their doors to having a free um session there so yeah it started um, in Portsmouth on the first show we played um and the first session where I was like, it's an hour and a half, like I've got it all structured. It's going to be amazing. And it just like, it turned out by the, by the second session, it was like two and a half hour session of just people talking about, you know, themselves and me mm-hmm. talking about my journey. Um, we always had a mental health practitioner or someone that was trained within mental health there. Cause it's really important that if we triggered people that they could have someone to talk to about where they could go in their local area. Um, four of the sessions were actually, um within kind of nhs uh and charitable organizations and mental health charities they were in their location which was amazing because obviously they could give them resources and stuff like that um but yeah and then and then from there so kind of moving on to the pandemic you're only talking what four months later which is crazy to think now and um yeah so the pandemic hit my job just ramped up um, you know, I I I moved from a job which was kind of about um cultural improvement within our healthcare, you know, really thinking about diversity and inclusivity and equality and equity mainly rather than equality, but equity more than anything. Um, and then I moved into a job where I was looking after um staff well-being. So I was the program lead for our staff's well-being, which is the first time probably in the entire time I've been in the NHS, where I've really seen a focus on how our doctors, nurses, AHPs, physios, admin, cleaners, catering, whatever it may be, um, how they feel about this crazy thing that was going on. And so I got moved into this role. Um
1: just as the pandemic was kicking off.
2: Like literally it was because wow. of the pandemic. So I, I got moved, I got made a program lead, which was amazing, a really good opportunity for me. And it was kind of a weird one because like this is like a dream job for me in a time that's absolutely mental. And my other job had just, you know, the band had just kind of stopped, you know, and as we all did, you know, and we just stopped immediately. And, and so we got into that boat, but I just put, you know, thousand percent, I was working, um, 90 hour weeks, went on some ICU wards, um, ITU as well, infectious disease units, just making sure that they were all okay. Um, and then everyone else, because obviously there's so many people that were affected by this, not only on a, like there, watching all the tragedy and the death and the the stuff that went on, but also the other side of it of just fatigue and what the hell's going on and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and it's then something, I, it's something that I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's sorry. something that, that gets overlooked, though, isn't it? That people who are working in the trenches and working with people, they need help too. They need to be heard because that's mm. a lot. It's intense.
2: I mean, it was like, it was crazy, man. Like, I remember it vividly, you know, And and this is quite a harrowing story. So, for you know, apologies for anyone that's kind of um, that finds this a little bit too much, but like, I remember asking a nurse one time because my job was to like, ask people what they want. You know, I set up a psychology service or, or helped to set up a psychological service within our, um, the hospital that I worked in because they needed it. You know, they needed trauma based therapy. Um, and I asked the nurse one time after I just set up them a safe space room and we got everything ready for them and they were loving it and it was amazing. And it was all charitable donations and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I asked her, you know, what what can I do for you over this bank holiday weekend? Um, and she said to me, looked me square in the eyes and said, I, my main priority right now is that I don't have enough body bags for the weekend. And I was just like, like, it just shook me cold because I was like that. And she wasn't saying it to be flippant. She wasn't saying it to be, she was literally saying it matter of fact, like I literally don't have enough. Um, and it just, that really, drove me into like overdrive like at that point I was like oh I'm a program lead it's great cool I'll make sure I'm doing everything that was it like I was 80 week 80 hours a week like building furniture for places like one day I'm building furniture the next day I'm running safe space sessions within the hospital which was amazing you know it's, it was a privilege to do that for our staff because they work so bloody hard um and then yeah, around September time, um, people were asking me about like, you know, obviously we can't do physical safe spaces. I was planning on reigniting that kind of um, safe space model that we were doing on the tours that we were doing. And obviously every tour we got was cancelled or postponed or cancelled or postponed 25,000 times. And then um, and then I did one session um, with a, a, a guy called Ian, who I've, uh, I kind of grew up with from the band Creeper, um we we knew each other we're both from Southampton we've known each other for years and years and years and he's been really vocal about his mental health and his journey and quite severe psychosis and
1: he's had a really hard time of it hasn't he yeah
2: crazy man and like and but being super open about the parts of mental health that we really don't talk about you know which is which is psychosis and um really the depths of of where mental health can take you you know and, and where it alters reality which is something that I haven't really experienced. Um, so it's amazing to hear him talk about that, and we talked about it. Um, and then everyone was like, why do we not do these virtually? Um, and then it was just a light bulb. I was like, right, cool, let's go. Safe spaces, let's do it. Um, and I, <laughs> the first one, I'll always laugh at this because it was ridiculous, but I set up a Zoom for the first one, and I was like, gonna do on zoom did a powerpoint presentation i was like i'm gonna do it like i do it at work and it was the most over grandized thing i've ever done in my life and i was like here we go doing this and then the next day i was like what are you doing just do it on instagram (laughs) live it's so much easier and it was never gonna be um guests it was never it was never about that it was just about just having a weekly opportunity for people just to spend one hour even if it's that's the only time in the week that they spend one hour on a Sunday because we all know that Sundays for a lot of people are the most triggering day. It's like really well known because obviously if you're working nine to five, the Monday's coming or if you're in education, Monday's coming. I remember it for me when I was a kid, it was just, it was tough. It was really tough thinking about school the next day and getting yourself ready for that onslaught of the week. And um, and so, yeah, we set it up and now we're 36 hours of people who have joined some people have joined everyone some people have joined one some people have joined half of one um but yeah and every single one we started getting guests on and yourself Jesse obviously came on and and loads of people love that as well and you know for me it was just it was such an awesome thing to see that people everybody yourself um many other people were just driven just to help there was no like oh, i'm going to talk to my press agent or oh, i'm going to do this or like None of it. It was like gone. And it was a perfect parallel to how it was in the NHS and healthcare, where it was like, oh, my God, I've got money for the first time and people are telling me to do stuff like, you know, I I remember going and saying, I want to build all these safe spaces, these holistic environments for people within healthcare to go and spend time. Um, And I remember saying to them, oh, this one's going to cost 10 grand and this one's going to cost 15 grand and this one's going to cost five grand. And they were like, literally, just do it. Just do it. And I've never had that in the NHS in my life. And so in the same parallel, you know, with people that are very busy, slightly less busy this year, but very busy, um, you know, to come forward and say, you know, I don't know you, but yes, you know, Jesse, we, we, you know, we played shows together, but you don't know me. Like, you know, we, but to come forward and people like yourself just saying, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. Let's make it work. And you know, that, that's the pleasure of, of the process and, it's the silver lining of a really dark time. You know,
0: and I think that, you know, for me and and I actually want to ask you this question, but before I'll preface it with this, for me, even just doing this podcast and allowing people to tell their stories and being able to learn to listen. I've learned so much about listening this past, uh, you know, couple of months we've been doing this two things, twofold question. Number one, and I'm, I'm assuming I know the answer, but I want you to talk on it. Um, how does that affect you doing all of this to during this time, being able to continue to help others, did that essentially help you get through this time is my first part of my question. And then if you want to follow it up with, how did you get into this? You, you mentioned when you were young, you got into this, like what drew you, where, where does this come from? And why did you decide to take that path at such a young age?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think, you know, part of my diagnosis and part of like what I what I go through, you know, I've, I've got generalized anxiety disorder, um, and chronic depression as well. And i um, diagnosed and, and something that I know that I'm going to go in peaks and troughs, like um, anyone that has diagnosis as well, anyone that doesn't have diagnosis, we all understand peaks and troughs and we understand that, you know, it can be one day you can be up for all the right reasons. One day you can be down for all the wrong reasons. And it's just one of those things that you kind of got to learn to manage that. And so, so, part of my diagnosis is around like putting it in a logical way you know and talking about it and trying to like make sense of it sometimes that doesn't work sometimes it just sends me down a rabbit hole other times it really does and I can talk about it and I can be be able to kind of cathartically just express myself and just say well yeah you know what like yeah I was in bathroom stalls at work crying my eyes out and I couldn't i wanted to rip my skin off my body because i just didn't know what to do and um and i'm able to say that and, and i the reason why i say it with conviction is because it's it helps me realize that that's okay you know and so many people uh, you know roll out it's okay not to be okay it's okay not to be okay it's okay not to be okay but it's like it's about like really getting down to what that means And it's okay not to be okay means a thousand things, hundreds of thousands of things for different people. And so for me to have an opportunity where I can talk about it, sometimes not talk about it, sometimes let other people just just go, just just be you and just talk about it. And it it really helps me and my and my recovery. The flip side of that is it's tough. You know, Um, whenever you open yourself up to to mental health, it's really, really important people talking about discussing their mental health. It's really important to recognize your limitations that you, I'm not a mental health practitioner. You know, I've got knowledge and skills and I've got lived experience, but I am not a psychologist. I am not a mental health practitioner. Um, And so it's really important to understand those limitations and not coldly or callously or clinically, but like be able to just recognize that recognize where your limitations end where it's less about sharing lived experience and sharing thoughts and ideas and more about like diagnosis treatment then you need to signpost like straight away and and sometimes that gets quite hard because you hear you know of course jesse you're you know jesse and matt you're both i'm sure opening up these kind of conversations you will you're you open up pandora's box sometimes and you hear some things that you can't unhear you know and And you have to be in the right mindset and the right headspace to be able to constructively give that advice, you know? And, and so, yeah, for me, it helps. I think after black flame, I think doing the black flame tour that we did in 2019 and doing the physical safe spaces, I was, it it really affected me because I think I came away and just went, wow. Okay. I was really worried about that. There's the anxiety of running the sessions. Um, And you're doing
1: shows every day as well, man.
2: (laughs) And that's it. And then we had Christmas like straight after. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, I don't know what to do. And so, yeah, you have to be really cognizant of where you sit on that. Um, And then the second part, like, you know, why did I get into it? I mean, I I was a late bloomer when it came to, to when it came to mental health, (laughs) Um, which is a funny thing to say, but I I think for me, like I knew when I was younger, I had an eating disorder, um, like, which is, is really strange to like talk about when you're a guy, like still, there's so much stigma around, there's so much stigma around eating disorders anyway, such a lack of knowledge when it comes to like what what is helpful in regards to eating disorders whether you're talking about bulimia um you know and the, and the many plethora types of bulimia that you have you know it's not just about making yourself be sick or it is is literally a countless amount of things um or anorexia um nervosa uh, nervosa um no nervosa, yeah um okay. is what what i had um and you know and but i didn't recognize it you know i completely didn't recognize it um and then I was, you know, we whistle-stop tour about Dan's Dan's therapy here. But, like, um, I was assaulted when I was younger because um, I was so skinny um, and I had long, long emo hair. I was, I was in that subculture, and I was loving life when I was in that subculture. Um, and I was assaulted, actually, with a three-ring knuckle duster um, by a guy that was in his 20s. Um, and, it, and it split me open. Like, he punched me in the face, called me all sorts of derogatory names um as they do um and i kind of stood there with my girlfriend at the time and he had his girlfriend there and his dog which always rings mentally in my head of like i gotta uh, not understand but i can kind of be like oh you're fueled up on alcohol or you're just you know out for a fight but you're going for a casual struggle with your missus like well, <laughs> um just yeah, so I was much f- hate oh it's crazy and i was 15 and and it really akin's like um, I don't know, you know, Matt. You, you probably know Jesse. You might be an avid fan. I don't know, but you know, Coronation Street at the moment are running a a, a story at the moment around. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, Coronation Street's a long-standing sitcom in the UK, longest-standing sitcom in the so UK. Soap
1: opera, not sitcom.
2: Oh yes, it is. Yes, it ain't
1: that funny. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not funny at all. Um, no, it's not funny. Um, but they're running this story at the moment, which is akin to um, many people will know about Sophie Lancaster. Sophie Lancaster was um, an alternative girl who her and her boyfriend were walking through a park one day and was set upon. on. Um, and, and it's the, basically it's a lot of the learning around the fact that she was killed. Um, and, but she went to hospital and the judgment that she had even in the hospital from people, from her dreads, the way she looked, her mom has set up the Lancaster foundation or Sophie Lancaster foundation, which is based around um, uh, improving lives of people within alternative subcultures and beyond and and reducing hate crime essentially so they're running this in parallel and and the reason why i bring that up it was i reflect on this a lot about that time and like what that was and it was a hate crime you know it's alternative subculture didn't like me you know could have akin me to all sorts of other kind of protected characteristics or whatever um but that happened and and it kind of spiraled me into this odd mindset of like suppress suppress everything don't show emotion i went to family funerals i went you know birthday parties i wouldn't be happy and i wouldn't be sad i would just be nothing and that was up until
1: i was around damn 20... was that because you felt like the subculture that you were in emo a part of that was like the shame that comes with that. And I was attacked. Maybe I did something. Maybe I provoked it just by being me. Mm. So were you trying to like suppress your personality? Kind of a bit.
2: Yeah. I mean, kind of a bit, I think. Yes. I mean, first thing I did, I had hair down to here and I shaved my head the next day, um, which is very telling. I, like, separated my nose. My nose is split down to here. Um, they, they sorted me out though. I got rhino free rhinoplasty, which was great. So now I've got a perfectly straight nose. You can say you
1: never know. You're a very handsome man. It was, it was a little
2: bit like this before. So he did me a favor. Um, but but yeah, I think a bit of that, Matt. But I also think there was like a a recognition at a really early age that it made me so angry that, um, I was really scared actually. And it sounds like I'm I'm not a hard person at all, but like it made me like scared that if someone got in my face or did that again what I would do you know just out of you know even preemptively you know and like just out of instinct someone gets in your face I'm like bang back to that moment I I was scared and so I realized that actually if I suppress everything I'm never going to be upset about that I'm never going to be bothered about how people think about me or what I look like or how I was or why I wore skinny jeans or why I had long hair because I just didn't care because I was me um but you know looking back it was really unhealthy and and around the time i was about 25 26 had an absolutely cataclysmic break um where all the emotion
0: just just yeah you, you can only suppress for so long before you just crack i know that really well i I lived that myself that's mm. that's intense dude so yeah and
2: once you're there you're just like and it's really weird when you break because everyone thinks like oh you break and you're just really sad all the time and like it wasn't that at all. Like it was around the time I got engaged, which is probably thinking about a little bit of a trigger weirdly, not because I was unhappy, but the opposite. So I was ecstatic. So I couldn't curb my emotion. And so when I shut up, that was it. Like the next step down is going down. And, and I think for me, it opened me up and, and all of this trauma, all of this upset, all of this angst, all of this emotion just came out. And and it came out so acutely that um, it was a really dark time, really worrying. Really, um, you know, I can, I can, I wouldn't say you know I was idealizing, you know, suicidal thoughts or anything like that. But I can definitely see how a sustained period any longer and not having the knowledge that I had in my head when it came to support networks that I had around me, um, the work, the jobs that I did because I worked in healthcare at that point. I could, it would have been another two days, another three days, and it would have been bad, you know? And and so, so yeah, I mean, and then you do this thing, this weird thing where you retrospectively look back and, and it's, and I, I wouldn't say rose tinted it's probably the other brown tinted when you look back, but you, you kind of look back over your life and go, Oh my God, like that was anxiety. That was depression. That was anxiety. That was depression. And you can just literally go through your life and go, and it's almost like, you know, you, you become slightly elevated. I'm not going to say enlightened because I'm not sure it's enlightened, but you become elevated in thought and kind of go, wow, like you were a fool. You were a fool to not talk about this. You were a fool not to reach out. And, um, but you know, hindsight is, is 2020 and
0: it is what it is. Yeah. You can't beat yourself up with that kind of stuff. Cause that's, that's kind of my life story too. You know, mm-hmm. not, you know, you talk about being a late bloomer. I didn't get to that point. So I was in my thirties. Mm. I was suppressing all the way through into my thirties and, and, you know, abusing alcohol, uh, even more so than people knew about, you know, cause that to me was the only way to kill my anxiety. Cause I was ignorant, mm. you know, and finally finding a language and getting tools to like help me navigate that. You're right, I look back on a ton of my life and I gotta be kind to myself now cause I'm in a good spot. But there was a time where I was like, we a fucking idiot. <laughs> and when you learn the complexities of anxiety, like anxiety, it, you were talking earlier about other you know, psychosis, all these, anxiety is massive, massive. And I'll meet people and I can tell they have anxiety and they have no idea. Mm-hmm. And they're angry, they're snappy. Like there's so many people that I have met and I'm, I'm trying to educate them very kindly like, dude. You got anxiety. Like I'm not anxious. I'm fucking like, <laughs> you know. And learning the, and I'm still learning. I'm still learning, uh, the complexities of what anxiety and depression is continues to give me wisdom and mm. and in turn be able to help people. And that's powerful shit, man. I feel like you know, truly, and you know, I'm careful with my words too. But like you can potentially save people's lives. You really can if you just give them the right language, the right support, the right um, forum, like you said, a safe space, I love that, to speak on. And you can see physically people transform when they're talking and they're having these aha moments of who they are and what they've gone through. I know it's certainly saved my life and that's why I've to me, I don't think twice when I'm asked to do something for mental health or Mm. suicide prevention or you name it. Like, I don't care how big or small, like if I've got the time and the wherewithal to do it, I will do it. And it's, it's just because I feel like I have to, because it saved my life being able to Mm. talk about shit, being able to put a language and words to these things that I always thought I was. And I, I always thought it was just a weakness somewhere, you know, somewhere I was just fucking weak or I had a problem and it tied back all through anxiety and knowing those words and being able to like, turn around and tell people that I know what you're going through. Cause that's me too. One of the most powerful things in my entire life.
2: And you're so right, Jesse. Like, I think, and this is what I'd implore anyone is that you really don't know how much the drop in the ocean causes the tidal wave. Like, and, and that goes for both sides, you know, for, for a positive word, a positive interaction, you know making a moment count making every moment count like that is powerful and it's not just people with platforms i do think there's an obligation for people that have have spent their life you know yeah people are talented of course they are you know it doesn't matter what field you're in there's many talented people but if you have a platform that's gifted by other people that buy into your platform you have an obligation to to make sure that platform's right ethically and morally. Um, regardless of whether you've been through mental health, could be anything, but you have a right to do that. It's not that you have to be proactive or activist, like uh, you know, because some people don't akin to that. You know, you have to be speak passionately, but everybody has an option to support other people, and you really don't know the impact of your words. Nobody knows that other than the person that's receiving those words or those actions, and so that goes for negative acts of incivility, acts of unkindness, like uh, you really don't know when you're throwing this stuff into the ether and this kind of moves into like social media and stuff When you're throwing this stuff into the ether um you don't know you know that you're casting this net right and you're chucking that out and you don't know who's going to read that or feel that or what that's going to do in their life and
1: we talk a lot on this show about being careful about what you say thinking about what you say pausing first and realizing the effect as you Mm. say both positive and negative Mm. that your words your intent your energy even can have
2: and it's about that you know so from a good friend of mine um Erin Power who's an absolute legend um she works in the NHS she she's also the chair of the disabilities resource group and and we talk a lot about um you know intent as you said Matt like you know intent you know, um, learning education. And she said one, one time to me, she goes, Dan, like people cannot be held accountable for their first thought. They can't, you can't be held accountable for your first thought. We all have weird thoughts, strange, perverted, odd, angry, happy, elated, perverse. Like everybody has thoughts. You can be held accountable for your first action. And it's up to you to elongate that time. If you need it before you act on said thought, you know, and, and, and it's about understanding, you know, Jesse, me and you talked quite openly and honestly, and I actually went back before this and I watched back our chat. Um, I kind of covered my face for a little bit because for fear of being self-aggrandizing, self-aggrandizing, but there's, um, but we had, um, we talked about this, about this freedom of thought, you know, sometimes you just have to let those thoughts go. Right. And you just got to let them in the river, just go, you know, and Jesse, you shared about like the, the, uh, the, um, almost like the paradox or the kind of the environment that you spent in was enabling, you know, around your house and around where you live, like enabling you to like, see that in real life, you know, the rivers, the rocks, all of the kind of nature and and that side of things. And I know you're, you're an avid kind of supporter for nature and mental health and that side of things, but there's also a time where you also need to reflect on those thoughts when you're in a good space. I mean, you're in a good moment, pick up those thoughts, you know, and, and look like, is this something that I want to deal with? Is this something I want to think about? Is this something that defines me or matters to me? And if it is, think about how you want to address that and then consider it and then act on it. If it's not something, then just let it go. Um, and don't judge yourself for it. You know, we all have those thoughts that come into our mind and we go, Oh my God, I'm a terrible person. I I am a horrible, horrible (laughs) human being. Um, but it's like well, you're not because the human mind is a fantastic thing you know it's an amazing thing that runs hundreds of millions of you know connections and thoughts and strange things where it's trying to make sense of this absolutely mental thing that is life and all the interactions you've had over your entire life it's trying to figure that out mm-hmm. plus perceived actions moving forward you know what's going to happen what could happen what eventuality could happen and that's mm-hmm. the problem about trying to decode that and go wait, what's real and what's not real. Um, and that's where anxiety, you know, obviously it sucks a little bit because you go into fight or flight mode and you go, oh my God, a saber tooth tiger is going to come and eat me. And you're sat in your front room. Like, you're just like, wait a minute, that's not right. Like nothing, there's no immediate threat here, you know? And so, yeah, it's just about being cognizant and giving yourself space. And there's such a, uh, there's such a stigma around mindfulness, I think still, and meditation. Um, people think it's all about, you know, just sticks and, and being kind of hippie and stuff like that. And there is a place for that. And I, you know, I'm more power to it. I, if you want to immerse yourself fully in the environment that you spend, use your just sticks and your, your time, like more power to you. Um, for me, it's more about creating space and it's just dedicating time to just being you and understanding the, the correlation between mind and body. You know, it's that like, and that can be breathing literally just breathing it can be walking your pets you know your dog in the forest it can be walking on your own it can be going to a city center and just watching you know just watching people watching motion like an ant's nest you know and just watch it and that's mindfulness you know and i, I think people practice it a lot more than they think they do and and we're probably those people that would be the first people to say ah i don't do mindfulness or meditation that's crazy yeah. and it's like yeah. no you do you do, you just don't recognize you're doing it,
0: you know? Yeah, you don't have to sit there in, in you know, robes and, you know. <laughs> and, oh, that's a, that is a definitely a, a huge misconception. And, uh, I, you know, because I tell people I meditate all the time. I'm like, well, how do you do it? I was like, well, there's many different ways to do it. And there I like is. that practicing mindfulness is, is really good. I like that a lot. And I think, you know, I've been studying this uh, lately, just dealing with the brain and sort of the, elasticity of the brain that we actually have mm-hmm. to to change things. And I, I, I've i d- delved into, you know, uh, microdosing psychedelic therapy, and there's a whole new school of thought about changing one's brain and personality. And a lot of that does have to do with meditation. And um, you can actually shrink that part of your brain that causes anxiety. This is a new study I've been reading about where practicing meditation and being mindful of yourself breathing like all of these things you're putting it into play you can physically transform things up here Mm. and and help things connect in a different way so that pathway of anxiety that you have when that one thought triggers you and you spiral into that usual fight or flight crazy mode you over time those synapses will connect to others you can Mm. reprogram that shit and I've always been fascinated with that because I've experienced it in my own life, where I used mm. to be a fucking basket case. And if I didn't have a drink in my hand, or especially at a social environment, if I didn't have a drink in my hand, I couldn't function at mm. all. And it's it's powerful shit, man.
2: But it's and, you know it's the most powerful muscle in the in, in body, right? So it's you know it's the most evolving mm. thing in our body, right? It controls every element of your entire body, both cognitively forward thinking as i said like this perceptive nature what makes us human is understanding what could be what might be you know dreaming it makes us human it's our characteristic but also on the flip side of that it opens A- and us doubt,
1: up. right doubt is like that
2: big thing shame yeah, you know that. You know, do you think dogs discover shame? Maybe sometimes if they, they do, do something when really they're badly, a and you look at them, you can see in their eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, right in the eyes. That... Did you do this? <laughs> <laughs> they always look like. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think you're so right, um, Jesse. And I think that's you know part of the stigma that goes alongside mental health is that we're on this really steep learning curve, and like all the mental health professionals in the world will be like, we know what we're talking about because it'd be really odd if you went to a psychologist and they went. I've got no clue, mate. <laughs> yeah. Have a go. Have a go. Let's try it. I'll give you a bit, one of these pills and maybe try a bit of mindfulness. But what it's recognizing that we're on this crazy steep uh, learning curve, you know, we've been cutting people open to look what's inside since the dawn of time, like since since human evolved from the primordial soup and realised that we had a skeleton inside us, we cut each other open to understand what it was sometimes without consent bit odd mm. but you know we did you know and we recognize that and that's where some of the most heinous crimes of the in the world have been where medical science physical science of where we've understood but we've also progressed incredibly um an incredibly elongated amount of time by doing that you know or oh, put that back in or I fix that all oh, that worked, or oh, that didn't work they died or oh, that did work and they survived great you know and but with mental health it doesn't work in that way because also human nature is evolving mentally you know this you know Technology
1: as well, right? If you look at the impact, you mentioned the word earlier, and we won't focus on it for too long. But you have to obviously talk about the extreme damaging effect of social media on our human brain, because we're not equipped to deal with like a sea of thousands. I mean, maybe if you spent your whole life famous, and you're used to being under the spotlight, you certainly, perhaps over time, develop coping mechanisms but if you're a regular joe and all of a sudden eighty thousand people on the internet hate you because you go viral for some stupid thing Mm -hmm. you've said or whatever human beings can't process that we can't process that hate and that negativity i I think it's really hard
2: oh sorry sorry. no go on Uh, but i think it's really hard for anybody to process you know conflict like in any way i i think it's an incredibly hard skill to learn like assertiveness without being a dick is really, really hard, you know? And, um, I do quite a few talks about like leadership development and people development, you know, and, and within my workplace and like, people just don't understand because we want to shy away from it. You know, we're not built for conflict. We're built for running and getting away from that conflict. So you're right. I think Matt, like, you know, from my perspective, you know, but then also from a, a, a social, social economic social thought political landscape political views social media is the only thing because you know we we when we grew up you know papers would be a thing news they'd be oh yeah the news said it the news said it so it's right right so whereas now collective consciousness is is massive you know but on the flip side of that you've got some warped views some strange human beings that can drive and pedal and gain momentum within that because people think it's fact but the other side of it, you can also question fact. So there is that kind of, you're right, I don't think we're there yet. I think it's incredible to what will be incredible. And it'd be hard to do objectively look over the growth of human beings and children coming up now and being able to say like, oh, my God, like they had to deal with such a different dynamic, you know, that we did. You know, if I wanted to go to the, the park with my friends, like you had to turn up on time. because you better, <laughs> if, if you don't turn up on time, your friends are pissing off like, yeah. and whereas now it's like oh i text you i'll be late i'll be you know whatever i'll turn up whenever where are you guys and i think the
1: the example that i often look to is like online bullying because when we were kids thankfully i wasn't but if you were bullied at school you know when you went home you were free that night mm. from the bullying And then summer holidays, you're free all summer holidays. The bullying only occurs within school hours at school. Now there's no escape because of social media. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm thinking about young kids growing up in that environment where there is no escape from the kind of social attack that, you know, bullying Mm. and that kind of behavior.
2: Yeah, and it's that immediacy, you know, it all goes into we could could do an entire new podcast on consumerism and, and the immediacy of wanting. Like, I want, want, want. I want my Amazon, you know, click to come through i want to view music on my phone like geez i remember when iphones popped up and everyone was like oh my god we can actually get more than three things on an mp3 and you know oh my god we don't have to have cds we don't have to have tapes we don't have to have vinyl so you know we all remember that and being like this is the best thing i've ever seen and like but it's the immediacy right and so in the same aspect you can immediately either like or not like you can either hate or love and and i think that's you know I think that's the responsibility of, of parents, um, mm-hmm. responsibility of social media. Um, I don't want a world where everything's mediated. I don't want a world where Facebook decides what it tells me is the right thing to, to think because then we're back into an environment where news, you know, the Rupert Murdochs of the world control the world. And and like, whereas actually what we want is to be able to have an open forum. But with an open forum, you open yourself up to the <laughs> it's hard, you know, and, and but I would say like it also has enabled a movement. Like there are so many movements, social movements, you know, you only need to look over the last 12 months, you know, and and look at George Floyd, look at um, you know, Meghan Markle and the you know, the interview that happened with, with Oprah, look at um in the UK Sarah Everard, um, who's tragically murdered, and you look at the social collective consciousness that moves alongside that. And it outweighs a lot of the time some of the the warped, strange views that people have. And actually, it's about, you know, yeah, let's let's get on that bandwagon. And some of it's tokenistic. Of course it is. Some people are like, yeah, I'm on the bandwagon, but they're not on it. But it's about, like, the information's there and more so than ever. Whereas, yeah, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? So, you know, you can find information at a touch but do you need to learn that information and understand that information no because it's put into an environment that's this long 30 characters ah oh, now i'm on board it's like do you, uh, do you understand the dynamics of saying you're on board you know and so yeah it's it's tough um there are pros and cons but yeah it is a it's definitely something that has is having an impact on mental health um positively and negatively because there's a lot of movements that are moving alongside it as well
0: Yeah, you're talking about like the, you know, back in the day with music, for example. And what I've noticed a lot lately with um, mental health and discussion, well, not even discussions, arguments, really, uh, and and how we do interact via text and the internet and, you know, the lack of body language, the lack of looking someone in the eye, the lack of of watching someone um, or hearing a tone of voice even taking all that out of uh, us and the human experience, how dangerous that is and how devoid of like actual interaction we're having, that lack of discussion, that lack of empathy that we should be having for each other. The things we see on the internet are are so hyper negative sometimes Mm. that you know for sure if a person was in front of you and in your face and you're speaking to them, there's so much that registers with the human psyche that's missing from the internet. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, of conversations that I've had during this time of, you know, crazy division on on so many different aspects. And I have met people where they are, you know, socially distant because I do a lot of kayaking, hiking, and I'll see people over here conversations, you know, this one particular conversation, I was packing up my kayak and I was hearing a political discussion between someone who is very obviously right and someone who is very obviously left. And it was an argument and I actually interjected myself and stood there for a good half hour and left, you know, long story short, we all left that conversation sort of feeling each other out and going, wow, I'm glad we sat here and Mm. talked about it. And it was amazing to me. And it also just struck me as like, we need more of this. And how difficult is that to have happen? And Mm. it's such a detriment to us as humans, not being able to see and feel and hear each other. Mm have these talks about bullying, politics, religion, whatever the case may be. And And people say,
2: you know, like people say education is the, is the route to, to solving acts of discrimination, acts of incivility, acts of unkindness or inclusivity, uh, uninclusivity, but it's not, it's not. So the yearning for education is the key. You want to want it. So if you want to learn about a culture, about, agenda about a sexuality about a religion about a faith you know if you want to learn about that then naturally you're probably not going to be a discriminative person because you want to know like tell me i i want to i want to be enriched by you you know the problem being is with social media you're absolutely right jesse like you have an ability to turn off when things get uncomfortable you turn off well progression is uncomfortable progression is vulnerable putting yourself out there and saying i believe this and someone goes that's a wrong thing to believe and you go oh no with the social media you can go lock screen see you later or delete my profile like and and this is it you know we are human beings are storytellers right that's our we're we're clan based people or or organisms that's what we do you know that we're here clan and the only way we shared our stories was by telling each other you know and those stories would be slightly more embellished they'd be slightly more outlandish but you'd learn from those stories you know and i think that's a key
1: theme that's been coming up a lot yeah and what you guys
2: against mentioned storytelling right yeah it's and that's story. huge you know huge. Yeah. because you feel that passion you know you feel that energy you feel like you know so many people will tell you what they don't stand for and no one will tell you what they stand for because they're damn scared of being challenged yeah. you know and and that's a big thing you know this feeling of there's so many people out there you'll see on social media where you'll be like oh my god you've told me about that you don't like the left you don't like the right you don't like progression you don't like regression so what do you like mm-hmm. and But it's about because they know it's clickbait. If you write something inflammatory about any side, you're going to get reaction. Um, And it's a part of the internet, a dark part of the internet that I just don't understand. I've never understood trolling. I've never understanding about hating a band so much that you'll go on their page, watch the whole song, and write something about hating them. The, it's, the YouTube, it's
1: like... the YouTube thumbs down thing for me, I think, is one of the most ridiculous. I think if you don't like a video on YouTube, right, a universe of <laughs> entertainment, don't hit thumbs down and watch the thing <laughs> hating your life. Move on to the next fucking video that you do like. So we've
2: had like these weird things. Jesse, you will have had this. I'm absolutely positive. Where someone will say, say something
0: you before you say it. <laughs>
2: Someone will say something so inflammatory yeah. that you respond, right? And I, I've many years ago, um, you know, many people in bands are like, "Don't comment, just don't comment." You know, you're doing well when people start really hating you. That's okay. when you're like, "Ah, yeah, man, yeah, we're, we're hitting it now because people have got an opinion about us." Whereas before, no one even knew. It was about five people in a pub going, "I don't like you," "I like you," and you go, "Sweet." If they stayed in the room, it was win. Uh, like now we're in a situation where you've got this tranche of people that are like we despise your band we mm-hmm. think your lead singer is terrible and you're like okay cool man um but we're understanding that like but they will say something so that's okay right i don't like this band cool whatever move on don't read it don't comment there's these people that will say like gravely offensive stuff and you're like oh my god like that's why <laughs> and you'll bite right and you'll bite and you'll go dangerous that's not, that's not true and then they go and then they go, thanks so much for responding. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. like,
1: that's all <laughs> they want, man. They're attention seeking. They just want to be acknowledged. Can I ask both of you this? Can I ask both of you this? As front men, as people who stand on stages and put yourselves out there physically, emotionally, and you have your individual struggles, how do you cope with meanness and you know negativity and spite? And the comments that either come via the internet or just in real life if you see someone and they're like oh your show tonight like as front men on that stage how do you cope with mud being thrown at you if we want to put it in that way because it's hard man it must be like and physically dan you mentioned you had an eating disorder growing up like to be on the covers of magazines and on tv screens not many like,
2: matt but yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know you must be like nitpicking all of that all the time so jesse let's go to you first how do you deal and cope with being a front man being in the public eye
0: yeah. I, uh, I've changed my coping mechanisms, thankfully, but uh, a lot of it used to be alcohol. And if you look back on the internet, and I, I've done this, I've done this. Um, I look bloated and sick for a good chunk of time there. Um, and it was because I couldn't deal with the criticism. It was because I couldn't deal with the insecurities. I was having so much trouble with my instrument, which I didn't know I needed surgery that it caused me all this anxiety. And then the people who are continuing to hate on me for not being a particular singer or a particular style of singer that they liked or didn't like, uh, which is a unique situation when you have two singers in a band, that shit ate me alive for a little while. And I was fronting like it wasn't. And my coping mechanism was drinking and being sarcastic about it and sort of just being whatever. And I've turned that into, thankfully, you know, to find some self-love, which I still am working on. Uh, And to find some, you know, therapy and surgery and vocal technique, all these things that really helped me deal better as a singer. Um, And then coming out of surgery, rehabbing my voice and touring with Iron Maiden, the first tour back, the first show back was opening for Iron Maiden. That was a huge test to like, how do you deal with people who probably don't give a shit about you or or blatantly don't want to hear your band? And they're just standing there like, get the fuck off the stage I turned it into something where I kind of enjoyed it and I played with it. And I was like, in my mind, I reassured myself, I'm on stage opening for Iron Maiden. That's fine. You don't like me. That's actually funny because I'm up here and you're down there. So I kind of had this game and the entire band would get in on it because there were some nights that were really difficult. So I'd say in whole, it's just on the whole, you have to just take it as it comes. Don't feed into it too much. And I've learned to, as we were talking about, I don't really go on the internet and respond. And if I see somebody just hating on me really bad, I have to recognize that it's not me. It's them. It's their issue. They're putting out their dirty laundry or whatever, or just trying to get a response or reaction. And by me feeding into that, it's a detriment to me. And it's also just giving them what they were looking for, which sometimes is just attention. So I kind of have fun with it now. And then there's a part of me that doesn't even bother with it anymore. Cause I'm thinking and and killing your ego too. Like sometimes you're just like, fuck me. So what? I wouldn't like me either. If I was this type of person who gives a shit, (laughs) I've learned to let go of a lot of it, but that's through practice. You know, I haven't always been like that. I definitely masked and numbed myself for a while to to figure out who the fuck I was and to get where I am now. So it's, it's never easy, but it gets easier the more you sort of deal with it, I guess.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like, I'm lucky because I've, I also work in healthcare and I think something that a lot of people struggle with in bands is that they believe their own hype, you know, especially if you get success, you know, and, and, you know, and you're, you're surrounded probably less so now because there's a lot of kind of self self self-produced self-made that, that kind of stuff. But like, you know, certainly around like major labels, labels management like they're not telling you that you're bad they're not telling you you're you're they're like you're gonna be the biggest thing ever and Mm. like you know and we've we've i've been in the band since i was 16 years old like i became a man in this band like i toured europe when i was 16 like and for me like being in the nhs like everybody is searching right if you're putting something out into the world you're searching for not only like acceptance and that's not acceptance in like I really want to be loved. Some people do. I really, really want to be loved. But like, you're just as your purpose, right? One of the fundamental meanings of life, one of the fundamental questions of life is what is my purpose?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What What am I? Who am I? What does this matter? You get into your 30s, your 40s, your 50s. You're asking yourself consistently at junctures in your life, like, what am I? Is this still the same thing for me? Is this still my same purpose? You know, And and I think for me, like having the NHS and working in healthcare, like, I haven't had that. It's not that I haven't had moments. Of course, everybody has moments when you're in a band. I've took, tu- you know, we toured the world and being able to do so. And so lucky to be able to do so, you know, and, like great like that i'm super lucky and there's moments where you forget that and you you know you act like a bit of a dick and a, a diva and you oh i'm not touring on that tour bus because it's not as good as that tour bus and it's like jesus christ catch yourself on and like but it's it's kind of easier for me to come down sometimes um because i don't immerse myself regardless of how big the band gets or doesn't get i work for the nhs have committed to working for our healthcare, and so the next day i go in i find that gratitude um there i find that purpose there because it's hard and it's tough and it and it really it really tests you on another level you know and and this is coming from a, a straight white man right there's the epitome of privilege triangle i put me right up here on top right and but a guy that's tattooed that is in a band That is going into senior management levels within healthcare. There's not many people that (laughs) that look similar to me. And you put yourself in that level for for people to go, who are you? What do you stand for? Who are you? And you have to have a really good sense of self to be able to say, you know what? No, the reason why I'm here is X. The reason why I'm here is to help people like, and it sounds really overtly grandeur and I could, you know, Oh, give me all the praise, but that's what makes me sleep at night that I'm dedicating hours to something for me that really matters regardless of whether it's mental health or physical health like mm-hmm. i am putting energy into the world that is good energy um and i think that helps me in relation to the question like battle against that because like people do hate our band people despise me as a frontman like whatever and i think the other part of that is also cultivating a safe environment for your fans so like our shows like i can honestly say probably one show i can remember and it was a, funnily enough, it was a chain reaction when we played America in 2010, where someone really, really like hated us, despised us, like really gave it some. Um, and I can honestly say that I think that's the only time in our career where we were really like there was difficult shows, as you said, Jesse, like, you know, you play those shows with those bands where their fans are their fans. Like I remember we did. You know, you guys know them very well. Like we did it with Trivium and Trivium fans are Trivium fans. Mm -hmm. It's like, they love Trivium. (laughs) They love them to death. And, you know, we have fun with it. And I I enjoy a challenge. Like I love it. Like I push myself in all aspects of my life. Like I love a challenge. So I I get off on that a little bit. Like, oh yeah, you don't like us? I'll show you. And we played, um, we played places like Brutal Assault. where the only band that sings. But also like going to like the metalcore side of things. When we grew up, like, kill switch had been a band for what five six seven eight years like you know and and when we came about like it was like a new band didn't play metal core if you will or melodic metal like you didn't do it it was like at that specific time around 2007 2008 it was like you have to be the heaviest band on the world you have to be you know all the bands started doing the death core or the death metal thing and all the logos were crazy and epic and we were put on bills in as a local band with all these bands that are just like brutally heavy bands like Blast Beats and Gravity Blast and and we were the band like that did the chorus you know you know and, and so you had to get thick skin you know you had to be like no we we have a purpose and and then at that moment we started cultivating our fan base and our fan base was about being safe and it was about enjoying it and I you know and there has been and it's not for a round of applause but if you want to do a round of applause fine um, but it is it we that was where we made the step like I've been to merch every single show for my entire career doesn't or I've stepped out and met people because for two reasons. It's not because I want the credit or I want to self-aggrandize, but it is two reasons. One, because they are your money. They are your people. They are your fans. They are everything to why you are where you are. So you can learn a lot when you speak speak to people because they'll tell you, especially in Germany, they'll bloody tell you if they oh, yeah. don't like your band. Oh, yeah. oh, I like that, but why so poppy? And you're like, oh great, <laughs> thanks, um, but that's no, what that's me, that's
0: album good. Why <laughs> this one not so good? <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, and it happens. Oh yeah, why did why? you decide? Why did you decide to go so poppy with this album? Uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, great, thanks. That was the heaviest album we've ever done, but that's cool. <laughs> um, but like, you learn a lot, right? And and the reason why I bring that up for the question Matt, is like, is because you also understand that kind of, it pulls you back down to that level. And when you, create that, yeah. when you create that community, it's very, very hard for external parties or people on the periphery, as we all have in bands that get bigger and bigger, but you've got people that are like, oh, I'm undecided. I like them sometimes. I like some songs. And they'll stand at the back and sometimes they're well into it. Sometimes they're not so into it. And that's cool. Like I, I've been like that for bands. You sit at the back and, you know, at the time of the beer and you just go, yeah, not as good as last time, but it it kind of silences them because they see the energy of the people that are there are all in. You know, yeah, it's not the
0: you have to focus on right when you're the performer. It's like it's not about those people. It's about oh, you you dig this, so I see you, and then mm. making that connection that helps carry you through. But it
2: also, um, you know, and you we've all been there, right? You've gone to see a band. It doesn't matter, you know, what genre it's in. It really doesn't, and you are that person, right? You don't know the band and you sit at the back and the energy is palpable. And you can even, it doesn't even have to be like, they don't have to even play a note, right? They they don't even have to be on stage and you can feel that room just drop. And you're like, oh my God, this band are big. And it can be a 150 capacity venue or it can be a 50 capacity venue or it can be a 50,000 capacity. You're like, they've got it. They've got it. I don't like, I don't know what it is, but they've got it. You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I remember seeing, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band Elbow. Yeah. Um, I saw them in New York city and it was a performance in front of a massive audience. And the way that he was able to just, I can't even explain it. It's like the air got sucked out of the room. And I just felt like I was in a small pub Mm -hmm. watching a storyteller and the, I'm getting chills just talking about it. the energy that was in that room was a real moment for me as a performer. And it actually changed the way that I conduct myself on stage because of the, the genuine way he addressed the audience. And it just mm-hmm. felt like a friendship. I felt like this dude was my friend and I'm a huge fan of this guy. Like his songs moved me to tears. And that kind of changed everything. And it kind of puts everything in perspective when you realize who you're there for, what it's all about. It really is that connection. And I think it's a good way to segue into this, like everything we've talked about, how do you apply that? And is it a conscious thing that you're doing when you're applying it to your music or your performance? Like being in the room with, with myself on stage, I make a real conscious effort to be present to the moment make sure my ego's in check cuz i'm not like check me out it's legitimately like we're in this together i know i'm desperately want you guys to feel what i feel so we can have this crazy communion together and that i think is initially before I even had the language for the words like that was my first recognition into like how mental health matters because that you do create a space you are in control from stage you can put out your awkwardness and people know right if you're having an off night or you're like I know I guess see performers and like, oh, they're not in a good space. And you could see when they are, when they're not, how important that is to show that from stage and to provide this sort of space and make it even a conscious effort of like tonight I'm going to really extend myself to give as much as I receive.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I think like that's the hard bit. That's where the fatigue comes in as well, right? Because you oh, yeah. you realize your responsibility, right? And so you have a responsibility. Someone's put and a base level monetarily people have paid money to see you do what you do. And as a vocalist, like Jesse, I can absolutely kind of relate the, the fragility of the voice. Like, I can't go on stage and restring my voice. You know, I can't go on stage half assed <laughs> like, because it's a voice, you know, and there's nothing you can do when that goes, it goes. And so, you know, and there is that responsibility. So also with responsibility is added pressure, you know? And so I, I, I get that. I think, yes, presence. I think, for me it's about an experience so it's about like giving people everything they possibly can have at that show like and everything and it sounds really cliche to say like i give 110 every single time but it's like it's about recognizing at that point it's not about you it's absolutely not about you and there are those shows you know where you're like no one cares like whatever and you kind of go into autopilot but that's professional you know that you not to go screw you guys i'm off and just chuck the mic down like to go into autopilot and you kind of just sit at that like level and wherever that level is is where you can reflect back and say you know "We're, we're, we're good like we've we've got this level that we sit at on autopilot and what can you give more on top of yeah. that? And yeah. and you have to sit up here for most of the time. And and so for me as well, like I mentioned before, you know, meeting fans for me is like, that's the experience. It's not because I, you know, and I may have been very vocal about it over the years. I won't be vocal about it, but <laughs> I've been very vocal about it over the years. And like, for me, it's more about what that gives them. Like, it's my job. Like This is my job. I view it as my job. I will get off stage and I will spend as long as it it needs to be because I view that as part of my job. And I don't know whether that's because I live this compartmentalized life between like my other job and this and like my work ethic in that and my work ethic in this. But I view when I'm away, I'm away and I'm doing what I need to do to to make people have the best experience possible, you know? And um, so for a presence for me, like I feed as you will, like off of energy, I feed off that weirdly like we did the last tour and we played um and it's the first experience i ever had this where i used to watch bands you know we've all seen them where the lead singer or the guitarist or whoever like just loses themselves right and the music just goes and you're like they're on another planet Mm -hmm. and so we talk about like playing and feeding and being present they ain't present they're in the music they have merged into that and there's many bands that you know we could cite that you're like jeez like they're on a different level and and like we've never had that I've always been like I love that frontman or I love that and like, I want to be that I want to command a stage I want people listen and you move through those phases of being like the angry frontman and the domineering frontman <laughs> to being the really friendly overtly friendly frontman <laughs> to kind of a blend of both right and that's where I'm at now like a blend of both like be friendly yeah. but also be you know a bit direct be assertive um but you see you know and, and I've never been that frontman. I've never been the guy that's like, he's, you know, just doing something mental. You know, I, I think about like people. Like Yeah. Like a Chino, like a Jason Butler from Let Jason Live and Fever. When I first saw Let Live, uh, when when he was in Let Live, and, and especially when I see like Fever now and all the kind of everything that goes alongside that, I just look at people like, and and Andy from, uh, and uh, sorry, Glassdoor as well. And you get people like that and you're just like, geez, like Daryl Palumbo. You're like, god like you can't you couldn't tap him on the shoulder and be like mate you got two more songs left (laughs) like i am playing my shit same as chino you're gonna go out to chino you're gonna tell chino he's got one more song left no you're not you're gonna let him play his entire hour and a half set and and like so when we played our last our last shows like we played the gray which is off um, cannibal cannibal is like um very openly about my mental health my depreciated mental health my journey you know and it's, it's less about like prescriptive as like this song's about depression and this song's about ocd it's more about just the madness that it was you know and it is and it continues to be and i played we played the gray and we actually played three two shows on the tour before the song was out which is a really interesting dynamic right because you, you people are anticipating that you're going to do something we hadn't black flame was like two two years or oh, a year and a half to two years prior as usual album cycles and we elongated Black Flame by extending the, the cycle. So it was about two years. So people are ready, you know, and we released the gray, but we play it, you know, and we play this song. And it's so emotional. And we've done, I've done songs about mental health in the past, but they've been my like wrapped up in metaphor, you know. They've been wrapped up in like, what could it mean? It could mean Dan's absolutely crazy, or it could mean that it's something else. And whereas that with this is really obvious. And so played this song. I've never felt anything like it never and it's very hard you'll probably relate jesse it's very hard to have new things you know and i've you know been in a band for 14 15 years like like there's many things i'm like yeah that's really cool but it's not new i've done it before and it's great you know i can feel that experience again this was new and i was like oh my god i'm emotional they're emotional the band are going like dan's emotional oh my god and there was this feeling of like this this energy that I didn't care. I legitimately did not care what they did, what they sang along to, what they were about. I was removed from the situation. I mean, that was like crazy. And I don't know if it'll ever happen again um, mm-hmm. because it was something special about that. And you know, it being on a Black Flame tour, you know, we did the the album in cycle, like the full uh, in full, and then we played it as like an encore. And it was like we did. I talked about mental health for the first time on stage. I really opened up. And it just created this moment where it was like, there's people crying in the audience, people upset and some people like crying because they have a release, you know, and they say like, wow, okay. Like I'm like that, that relates to me. And um, yeah, and it just created this ethos around or not an ethos, but this atmosphere around that moment where I was like, oh my God, I've never felt this before. And, but it was addictive. It was addictive. Like I was, it hyped it the next night, you know, it was, and it wasn't like I was putting it on. It was like, this is coming. I can feel this, you know, it's like playing the the biggest song on your set where you're like, Oh, I know this is going to pop off and you start getting excited. And you're like, here we go. I can't wait to see this crowd. Um, But I was excited for people not to know the song and just be in it, you know? And obviously as the tour went on, people knew it more because it was out. And, and then you had that added connection of people singing those words, knowing the meaning and feeling them. Jeez. It was, it was crazy. It was um, an amazing experience to feel that with our fans as well. And, and experience something new it was, it was lovely you know
1: i really like what you've done with the safe space on you know instagram as well as you've kind of taken that with the removal of shows it's never going to be quite the same because the audience isn't there in front of you mm. but you must have felt like you're living out experiences like that in real time through this pandemic with to begin with your audience and then as you're getting guests on people who know them and growing. And you know, the the list of people you've had on is amazing. It's not just like rock and metal people. There's like comedians on there, TV personalities. And in a similar way to what me and Jesse are trying to do with this show, this isn't specifically about mental health, but you know, obviously comes up and it feels like, you know, you're doing what you are able to do at live shows on a regular meeting on the internet. And we were talking earlier on about some of the negative sides of social media and stuff. What you've done with that weekly show is really cultivated and highlighted the positives of the internet community. Um, and that must have been an amazing journey for you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, you don't, you never expected it. Like, I don't have that sense of self-aggrandizing or, or grandeur. Like, I don't believe. I just did it. I just did it. I was like, I want to do it. I'm going to put it out. If 100 people turn up, if five people turn up, least those people would have had a chat you know and yes obviously the fact that i had like a i could identify a need by the amount of people by the demand you know and and when you see the demand you're like oh my god like people want this you know and and then that's what spurs you on because originally it was going to be i think i started it in um september it was going to be up until like late november and then it was going to be up until christmas then it and was new lockdowns years.
1: just keep getting extended eh?
2: and then it was new <laughs> years and then it was like and now i've like committed to doing a full year of it um because i was like you know what i'm at 36 like come on man like just do it a year um, and i'm sure at 52 it will it will continue on because i think it just reminds people to to do this but but it kind of galvanizes a few thoughts you know of like we're all human beings we all go through our struggles it doesn't matter where you are what you do how successful you are how you know our, what life situations throws at you, we all have moments where we have mental health. Everybody has mental health. And this thought that there's these section of people that you can go, you have mental health. No, everyone has a mental health because everyone has a brain. Like, <laughs> if you don't well, have It's a the brain, same
1: as physical health, isn't it?
2: It's like everybody has mental health. Everyone has anxious moments, low moments. Um, and often that's what people combat against when they don't want to listen about mental health. They'll say, I get anxious, I get low, and I just get over it. And it's like, well, that's the difference. Depreciated mental health is the... Uh, inability to be able to get through that. So that that's the difference, right? And everybody has an anxious moment. Everyone feels sad. Depression is not about being sad and anxiety is not about worrying about things. Like, yes, there are elements of that and, and characteristics that move alongside that, but they're not exclusively, mutually exclusive. You can be happy and be depressed. Like that's where I was. I was in a moment where I was like, I feel this out of body experience where I'm not enjoying anything in life. I'm not desperately sad about things in life. I'm not crying about things all the time, but I'm in this position where I'm like, I don't enjoy this. You know, we did one of the biggest tours of our lives. So we did architects. Um, uh, it was it was architects tour post Tom passing away. It was there coming back uh, immensely emotive tour, you know, immensely emotive, um, absolutely privilege and honor to be asked to be on a tour like that. You know, we didn't have to be there, you know, and and to be asked, amazing and so there was that kind of done alongside it but alongside that i was in this stasis of just like you know going through my own stuff at the time and maybe it added to it maybe the emotive factor of it you know impacted there was wasn't that connection or maybe there was a lot of connection who knows but you know for me doing safe space and getting people talking about it and getting people just stigma is reduced by people at sharing experience that's it Like there is no other way to reduce stigma because there isn't one prescriptive thing about mental health that you can go, ah, if you have depression, you have X, that's how you're going to be. And these are the symptoms and this is the cure doesn't work with mental health. And so everybody's experience is valid and crucial. And so when people share about those experiences, you can get comfortable in talking about those experiences. You feel a weight lift, not only for yourself, but for others. And so when people talk, you know, I've been in rooms at the start where someone said like, you know, I have psychosis, you know, I have schizophrenia, maybe. And you feel the room just go, you're like, Oh, God, are we going to talk about this? You know, <laughs> and this is really scary. Like, this is something I've never talked. It's only scary, because you don't talk about it. Yeah. And it, and it's grave And it's acute. And it's, you know, it's like cancer, people talk about, Oh, we're not going to talk about cancer, because it's really scary. Yeah, it is. But it's also something that happens. So let's talk about it. Same as death, same as you know, the meaning of life, you know, all sorts of things that, We just don't talk about you know because they're really scary stuff same as mental health you know and i think we're moving closer to things like anxiety and depression being understood um but we're definitely not in things like neurodiversity um things like bipolar um some of the kind of um the social elements of things so uh asperger's um things like that like where we autism where people need to be given a platform to be able to explain their situation be able to talk about what it feels like day to day once you can hear that you can feel the emotion because the first time you hear it you go that's someone's experience great let that person go on in their experience the second time you hear it you go wait like this is a thing you know this is real like and this isn't i can't be indifferent by this because i've heard it again you know and indifference is the 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 root of all discrimination, right? And it's the worst part of discrimination is indifference. Oh, it doesn't happen. Mental health doesn't happen because I don't suffer with it. Mm. Racism doesn't happen. Yeah, it does, but I don't (laughs) see it. Well, yeah, it does, you know, and, and that's, and, and that for me is like, it's not saying that you, I set up safe space to suddenly battle all of that stuff, but it is just an opportunity for people to just be real, you know, and, and I'll be really candid on here. Like, you know, I, I interviewed um, Tim, Tim Lambesis, and and it was a, I was petrified, you know. I was like, "What does this feel? How do I feel about this?" You know, his story, what what went on. Like, I was just, I it it nearly saw me off. Like, I nearly didn't do that. I nearly didn't do other after that, you know. And and because I was like, "What's this reflection on me?" Um, you know, and it's selfish because it's like. No, like this is a part I wanted to talk about what it felt like for people within the prison system and mental health. It's a massive, massive part about people, re- rehabilitation coming outside of prison and mental health. Um, I um, got asked years ago to to support with um, going in and discussing mental health with prisoners and, and getting trying to debunk some of this stuff because half of the reason why people end up there is because they're not addressing some of the trauma that's gone on in, in the past. And so um it was a real opportunity for me to kind of go like this is a world i've never i've never even been close to you know and and i didn't have the opportunity back then i ended up not being able to do it because i moved jobs but i was like such a missed opportunity for me to go and talk and be part of that and to, to hear his story um you know and make no you know and not have to be um judgmental either way not have to do that because that's not the forum the forum is there for someone to talk about their story and people make their own minds up about it. I'm not telling anyone they should feel one way or the other. I'm also not telling people they should feel one way or the other about mental health or my mental health. I'm just saying, this is it. This is a story.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. about putting it out there and allowing people to grab what they need from it, because I'm sure there were things said that people could sort of grab, you know, grab onto and be like, Oh, this makes sense to me. And it may not make sense to you. And you're right. Judgment. I think, you know, and I've learned this with this forum, just having a podcast and allowing people to speak their truths. You may not agree with everything that you're hearing, but you can't stop them from saying because there is benefit in those people speaking from those experiences. And you mentioned prison, like prison is another topic where a lot of people don't want to know what's going on. They don't want to know. It's a very uncomfortable thought because we have that fear of, oh, I don't ever want to end up in that position. That's hard style. But it's
2: the same. It's the same as what forty years ago in the UK the last asylum shut?
0: Yeah, like yeah.
2: forty years ago they were talking about um, women who had postnatal depression having hysteria. Yes, and we talked about that last time. Like, and that you know, so they were ostracised. They were put into a position where you're like, these are the untouchables. These are the people that we don't talk about. And it's like, yes, you know, people. That are tried and convicted for for crimes that they commit they you know they are in a position where they need to pay back to society they need to do their time they need to do that i believe in it wholeheartedly i believe that most criminal justice systems are flawed if i'm honest because they don't 100 because all you do is you chuck someone in a hole the whole ethos of prison anyway is bonkers right when you think about it objectively you think you've been bad put you in a in a room and you stay there for a duration of time you come out of said room you're better
0: yeah. Super healthy. Right. Yeah. That it's makes like, sense. You know, and and I,
2: <laughs> it's crazy, you know, and then there are people that are dangerous to society. There are people that, um, you know, that need to not be in society. I believe that as well. Um, yeah. You know, and we won't go into death. penalty. I don't believe in the death penalty. The only reason why I don't believe in the death penalty is you can't take it back. Um, You know, Oh, pardon. Sorry. You weren't guilty, but now you're not here anymore. Sorry. Yeah. That's the re- main reason why I don't believe in it, you know? um, But for me, like it's a real place where it's like, how do you get people? What went wrong? If you can understand cause, you can understand effect, right? What's cause root cause analysis, get there. Like, is it their upbringing? Is it their, that you're in this cyclical life of parent, grandparent, great grandparent, all being part of, you know, maybe it's poverty, maybe it's, um, maybe it's situation, maybe it's education, maybe it's abuse, whatever it may be, a lot of people more the majority of people have been part of a cyclical, you know, situation where they had no other path. They had no other choice because they were going to be thrust into an environment where you either do that or you die, you know? And I just, I I worry, I worry gravely about people and their, and reentering society as a marked one, you know, reentering society as a, you're not good enough and you never will be and, you know, if we truly believe, and this is kind of get off my soapbox Dan—but like, if we truly believe in rehabilitation and the justice system, we should also not hinder people's opportunities to re-enter society because we create this odd paradox where people re-en- re-enter society yet can't get a job, they can't get insurance, they can't get social security, they can't get healthcare. So they're in this position where you're like, well, you haven't re-entered society, you're paying for this for the rest of your life. Yeah. And some people believe that that's the right thing, you know. Um, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong, but you also, you know, if we believe in the judicial system, you should believe that they can re-enter society after doing their punishment, you know.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's case by case, though, right? It's it's difficult. It's to...
2: difficult, man. Of course, it is. Like, and you know, it's easy for me to say because I'm not there. I'm also not making the rules. It's really easy for me front man of a band and went to the NHS to say I can solve the judicial system it's really complex and no, it's you
0: really bring t- up good points though you really do I, I yeah, that's all. That, we could go off on that <laughs> <laughs> well, just, just as we
1: kind of approach the end what I wanted to say Dan is having watched a bunch of your chats the language that you use you know there's clearly like a, a, a key grasp and understanding of the subject and, and you have like just such great terminology and the way that you phrase and word things which you know me and jesse try and get into and i think we we try our best but hearing the way you tackle the issue of mental health with the guests that you have in a really accessible but informative way um is really inspiring And Mm, I I I urge everybody to go follow you online and check out some previous episodes and, and keep up to date with everything you've got coming up. And one thing I love, I think you spoke to Jesse about in the episode that you two did, which I watched and you mentioned earlier is like having a purpose. um, And that's really been the key for me. I know in this last year, trying to find a purpose in this pandemic, finding one, having one has been such a game changer for my mental health. I wonder if you could kind of share perhaps any other, not to kind of go obvious but tips and you know tools and and practices that you think would be beneficial to anybody out there who at the moment finds themselves in a tough position and they're struggling um that you've learned from the conversations you've had to help you know turn things around and improve their quality of life somewhat
2: yeah absolutely i mean purpose is obviously one of them and i think you know purpose needs to be on a greater level than job and and money and things like that i think it needs to be on a granular level it needs to be what you're gaining satisfaction from so you know when this band ends i have still have purpose if i was to lose the nhs i still have purpose you know yes it may be tough and it may be difficult but like it's about life you know everything's much bigger than those things you know and if we wanted to get into really spiritual you talk about you know um you know worldly possessions and actually it's all it's all whatever you know we're spiritual
1: as you like on here dude you are who we
2: are you know and, and i think um i think for me from a mental health perspective um support networks are so so important and they all are also very difficult um for some people um for some people they don't have support networks um you know we're growing at an exponential rate when it comes to understanding mental health um really on a steep learning curve it's like you know and and i think for those people that can create support networks create them when you're well don't wait until you're in a position where you are unwell because you'll never, you don't have the capacity, the mental capacity to be able to reach out to people because you just don't think like that. For anybody that's experienced moments of crisis, you are not in the right frame of mind to go, hang on a minute, I'm going to ring that person. And that's great. I'm going to talk to them. They're going to solve it. You don't think like that. You just think, fight or flight, oh my God, like this is the worst possible feeling. Nobody's ever felt like this. I'm on my own. Um, and I think that part of it is, it's so important to recognize trust and trust people. It may be a colleague, it may be your family, it may be a friend, it may be a loved one, it may be a doctor, it may be a practitioner, it may be a charity, maybe someone online. Like, But like build up like a trusted network where you can just say, I want a safe space where I can just say what I need to say. I don't need to be fixed. I don't need someone to tell me like, ah, oh, yeah, I've got this solution for you because we all know they haven't got the solution for you. you know. But um, And I think some people get into that mindset when someone comes to them and says, I'm really struggling and they go, Well, oh, do this and do this and do this. Uh, and then you'll be solved. And it's like, and, and there's nothing more debilitating to than someone coming to you with a problem you have no idea about. It is hard. You know, someone coming to you and saying, I'm suffering with depression. You've never suffered depression. That's a hard sell. It's very hard to kind of go, okay, do this, but listen, spend undivided time with that person dedicate time signpost you know be able to say well these people probably will be able to help or may be able to help have you tried this what do you need from me right now like and that's it you know what do you you know what do you need from me right this second and it may be a cup of tea it may be a, a arm around each other or it may be actually that you do have a bit more lived experience and share your story how did you get through it you know and um and the other aspect it we talked about quite a lot um is, is just sharing experience and not sharing gra- uh, uh, like a grandized experience, not saying like, Oh, I had anxiety and I got over it. Sweet. Like, that's cool. You know, whatever. Like, that's amazing that you did that, but sharing the dark parts, sharing the upsetting parts, but sharing them safely, you know, make sure that you're not because it's really easy within mental health for us to have this kind of collective consciousness where we all become depreciated because we're all talking about how terrible it is. You know, and then there's a really bad part of eating disorders where it's this collective mindset with eating disorders where you like, you know, there was a the rise of this thing inspiration and stuff like that where you can become this collective illness almost. And for people that suffer with chronic depression, it'd be really easy to just talk about how dark it is and suicide idealization and stuff like that. And it's really important to recognize those people that are there to truly support and hear you um, because they're the people that will be able to give you a new perspective on things and also for and i suppose the last thing for me is like do everything without judgment do it with kindness you know and it's so easy for me to say everyone be kind everyone be really nice there'll be times where you can't be kind because people's a dick and you're not going to be kind to them but there are moments where you need you just need to breathe we talked about it before stop before you say something consider the impact of what you're about to say in all walks of life you know and that goes for diversity inclusivity, equality equity mental health wellness well-being polit- politics social economics whatever it is stop and think before you say it because that you will never ever know the impact of what you've just said you know and and, and good or bad and so choose your words carefully make sure you're doing it with, from an informed perspective but also when people are sharing stories Make sure you're sharing it with the caveat that you're not an expert. We're lived by experience, you know. I'm not an expert on mental health. I'm just an expert on my own mental health, you know, and and that's part of it.
0: I think that's a period on the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well spoken, my friend. I uh, you, have a, a lot of admiration for you as a human. Uh, and definitely as a musician as well, because since our talk, I've definitely done a bit of research on your music, and not just playing with you, but actually looking on YouTube and watching you perform. And, Thank
1: uh, you, brother.
0: I commend you, dude. You are doing you are doing everything right. Um, I definitely uh, consider you a distant friend, and I look forward to someday getting on the same bill, getting on the same festival, having a laugh with you, and having a sit down and then talk. So, big pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and your experience and your humility.
2: It's Thank awesome. you so much, Jesse. I really appreciate that
0: appreciate you, man,
1: And Matt, of course. I appreciate you, too. (laughs) Well, we're just down the road, dude. I'll be in London a fair bit over summer. So is that where you live? Are you in London?
2: Uh, I'm Southampton, but, yeah, I mean, it's a train away, so I'm sure I'll be in London soon enough and we can catch up.
1: Yeah, it'd be nice to see you in person, man, and, um, yeah, raise a glass to to better days ahead. You know, I think collectively all three of us have been through our fair share of shit, and it's nice to be in a place in life where you're, you know, around people who are trying to turn that pain into something positive, Improve our own lives, help other people along the way, and yeah, man, it's it's uh it's been a pleasure having you on the show, and I look forward to. In real life, hangs as they say yeah. these days.
2: And I just want to say thank you guys for what you do as well. Like, regardless of whether this is specifically about mental health, there's always an undertone of that, and there's always an undertone of understanding and support. So that's really really important. So yeah, um, and Jesse, obviously, thank you so much for coming on, um, safe space and sharing your story as well, because it was an inherently vulnerable won that one as well so yeah thank you so much
0: guys got it all right everyone go forth and enjoy life <laughs> <laughs> that's the moral <laughs> oh hold on a second before we go I just, I, I just thought this would be fun to share with you guys he's going to show us some clothes oh,
2: oh yes
1: my professional outfit for today. <laughs> you should
2: have just been I, in like a squat and on <laughs> the chair just spinning slowly reveal <laughs> the- <laughs>
0: I, uh, yeah i was doing yard work um before this because it you know I just See, it really know. is
1: hot out there huh
0: yeah it's nice so i didn't we had a little scheduling and yes. i had like a two-hour window so i went out and mowed my entire lawn and did a bunch of yard work and sweaty i was getting ready to come on camera so i literally was rushing so i just threw this shirt on which i love it's like totally like a, like a weird hawaiian shirt and didn't even put pants on and i was like
2: <laughs> it trips my eyes out <laughs> with your background as well so it's oh, like yes. it's just that's,
0: I do that intentionally. It's, a lot. A it's just crap. like a
2: magic. It's like a magic eye thing. You know, it's like, I think I can see Jesus right now. Yeah. And look, <laughs> Whoa. it's the whole room. <laughs> if you spin the camera, I think I might
1: be sick. Oh, there you go. <laughs> well, welcome to my life, Dan. This is every week.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, is, this is like a fairground ride. And you can see, Matt, like how English we are as well. It's just, yeah, I mean, I tried to be a little bit ostentatious with this, but I did, <laughs> I did hide there hello kitty stuff from my wife I think, <laughs> and i think her bra as well just sat
1: there as well. there you go highlight it at the end That's well it, dude yeah. um yeah congratulations on everything as well thank man you um welcome. it's 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 been a real pleasure like yeah getting to know you today um and yeah i hope we can you know spend more time going forward and um yeah just on behalf of me and jesse and i'm sure everybody who gets to hear and listen to this thank you for all the work you do and big up man
2: Thank you, brothers. I know I really appreciate it, guys, and thanks so much for inviting me on.